Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles. Jonah chapter 3. And I don't know about you, but I really do feel, at least in my heart at least, the presence of God has just been real this morning. And I'm very thankful. I never want to take that for granted. And I always want to rejoice in it each time. I'm thankful. As we come to Jonah chapter 3, Jonah chapter 3, I believe God has something for us. It's been stirring in my heart for some time and stirring in my mind. And uh, I'm thankful for that. But uh, in Jonah chapter 3, as we come to it, we know that Jonah has uh, been given a commission from the Lord to go. We found that out in chapter number 1 together. But for one reason or another, we know that Jonah did this. He rebelled against the clear command and clear call of God and God's will for his life. We know he rebelled for one reason or another. And listen, any reason you give to rebel against God, mark it down. It's going to be wrong, all right? It's going to be wrong. But for one reason or another, we know that Jonah did just that. But in his rebellion, just like in ours, God began to work. And God began to deal with him. And God began to deal with him more fully. I don't know of another man who's been swallowed by a whale or a great fish. But it took some doing to get his attention, did it not? Uh, he, didn't, he wouldn't repent in the storm, but he finally had to repent in the belly acids of a whale. But after he got right with God, as God dealt with him and worked in his life, and he cried unto the Lord, began to pray unto the Lord, repented and got right with God. We found out last week that there were some things that did not change. There was some time that passed between chapter 1 and chapter 3. And though over time things changed, there's a few things that remain the same. We know that God's mind for using Jonah didn't change. He still wanted to use this man. That's remarkable to me. Uh, knowing who Jonah was and is and what he did, I can't say that if I were God, I'd want to use him anymore. And by the way... If you would take introspection in your own life and knowing what you have done and who you are, and if you were our God, we wouldn't use us either. But aren't you glad we are not God? Amen. So God still wanted to use them. His mind didn't change on that. His mind didn't change on the people of Nineveh. He still wanted to save them. His mind didn't change on the method in which he was going to use to reach this, these people, wicked, violent people, of Nineveh, he still wanted to have Jonah preach to them. And the message didn't change either. There were several things that did not change when it came time to get back to Nineveh as Jonah repented and got right, got right with God. So Jonah, after he got right, after he surrendered to God's will in his life, Jonah, armed with a recommission from the Lord, armed with fresh mercy, and fresh grace, and fresh forgiveness, armed with the same purpose he had before he left to go to Tarshish. The same purpose he had, he was armed with that. He takes all this and he begins to march into Nineveh and spread the message that God has put upon his, upon his heart. He begins to do this. He begins to preach. And listen, as Jonah begins to obey... As Jonah begins to preach the message, preach the word of God throughout the city of Nineveh, a three days journey, a very large city, uh, which would have been probably uh, encompassed in the city would be the people of Assyria, a very large, a very large area, landmass, all right, that he traveled, a three days journey. As he began to preach to them, something amazing happened. 
Something very stirring to me happened. And you say, what is that? What happened in the city of Nineveh as Jonah began to preach to them? What happened? I'm going to tell you. An evangelistic campaign like no other began to take place. A, a multitudes of people began to turn to the Lord. And I dare say a true, real revival began to take place in Nineveh. And as I think about it, it really is amazing to me to think of thousands and thousands, listen, if not millions of people, turning to the Lord. Amazing to think about. Amazing to read about in Jonah chapter 3 of multitudes coming to the Lord. It is stirring to me. And folks, listen, this story here in Jonah chapter 3 is not satire. It is not made up. It is not just a story put in the Bible to stir our hearts for revival or stir our hearts for souls or stir our hearts to preach the Word of God. No, no, no. This is an actual historical event that took place with a real person named Jonah, to real people who are Ninevites, who are wicked people, but yet turn to God, every one of them. Absolutely amazing. And we get the privilege of reading about it in Jonah chapter 3. Look at it with me. Jonah 3 and verse number 1. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey, meaning it took three days to walk from one end to the other. All right? Verse number 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his message. So the people, verse 5, of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He laid his robe from him, covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through, through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. He did it. He did it not. Our Father, as we consider this text and consider this scripture and really consider this event Thousands of years ago in Nineveh, Lord, I pray you stir our hearts even this morning for revival. Stir our hearts for an evangelistic campaign like we've never experienced or seen before. And may the very thought of it scare us to the point where we can't do anything but respond by faith and trust the Lord. We love you. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as you read chapter 3 of Jonah, it's really amazing to see an entire nation getting right with God. Let me ask you a question. Who here would love to see something like that? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen, me too. 
I would love to see our community turn to God. I would love to see our counties. Listen, we as a church have a privilege of sitting literally on the line of Buncombe and Henderson County. And so when I say our counties, I mean Buncombe and Henderson County. I would love to see such a revival or a campaign or whatever you want to call it. I'm going to call it revival for simplicity's sake this morning, all right? But I would love to see something like that break out to where multitudes of people come to know Jesus as their Savior. You have family, you have friends which you're burdened for and praying for for some time, do you? You've told me. I know you do. You've told me. And I've told you of mine. Wouldn't it be amazing to see that loved one which you've been praying for, hoping, wishing for, to finally call on God to save them and turn from their wicked way and turn to the living God. I mean, would that not be absolutely amazing to see and be a part of? It happened before. It happened in Nineveh, and as crazy as it may seem, as crazy as it may seem, and even some may suggest that this would be a wishful dream that can never happen to understand. It happened in Nineveh, and I want to go on record and say I believe it can still happen today. I do. If we don't believe that, then what are we doing? If we don't believe that God can work in ways beyond our imagination, then where is our faith? Listen, I, I do believe, I do believe it can Happen. I believe it can happen in our city, in our counties, listen, even in our country. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. If Christians would obey the command to go and preach the gospel, it could happen. You say, come on, preacher man, you way out there this morning. You're talking out of your head. I don't think you got enough sleep. Well, that's besides the point. I don't ever get enough sleep, all right? But I'm just telling you, I believe it can happen because I'm armed this morning with these two promises on my heart. Jeremiah 32 and verse 27, nothing is too hard for all. Mark chapter 10 and verse 27, with God all things are possible. I believe it. I believe it. And we must all believe it. Because again, as I said earlier this morning, the only thing God will not use and cannot use is our unbelief, the ones who should know better. Christians who read their Bible and walk with God, we must trust Him and believe Him. Because listen, God did it at Nineveh. A people who were so vile and wicked. We've talked about, the, we've described how vile and wicked they were. I mean, things that just... Even horror flicks cannot paint how vile these people were. And yet God used the preaching of Jonah to turn a nation to himself. It's absolutely amazing. Understand, this was no little nation, by the way. This is not just a few, a few thousand people. No, I believe it could have very well been upwards of one, two million people. Now you say, Pastor, if you go over to Jonah chapter 4 and the last verse of that, we know the Bible says there's 120,000 or six score, 120,000 that uh, uh, didn't know their right hand from the left. Wouldn't there just 120,000 people? Well, there's two thoughts on that. 
Some think it was just 120,000 people who didn't, who, didn't, who didn't know right from wrong. Well, I don't believe that because these people knew right from wrong. They knew they were evil. They knew they were wicked. They knew the violence that was in their hands. The Bible clearly says that in, in, in chapter 3, verse number, verse number 8, as the king even knew that. So, of course, the people knew how wicked they were. They knew right from wrong. What I tend to believe and tend to think is there's 120,000 who didn't know the left hand from the right, meaning this, there was babies. Literally babies, little kids who didn't know the left hand from the right hand. I mean, if you'd ask baby Ian, does he know his left from right yet? No, he don't, right? Okay. He don't know that yet. So I tend to, I tend to believe that he's talking about babies there. So if there's 120,000 babies there who don't know their left hand from, from the right, then that also tells me there are school-aged children, teenagers, young adults, other adults, grandpa, grandmas, that can tell their left hand from the right. And if that's the case, there could have well have been millions of people here, if not hundreds, at least hundreds of thousands of folks in this city, a large place. And every one of them turned to God. Every one of them turned to the Lord in a national revival. But it's from this revival that I would like to take a, a look at and highlight some things that I believe were pertinent to it, some elements that involved in this revival that made it real and genuine and life-changing. What are those elements that make a real revival, Pastor? Well, I just want to look in this portion of Scripture from the Bible and see what took place, all right? So number one, quickly, in this text, in Jonah chapter 3, with this revival that was going on, here's one thing we know that took place, an element that took place in this revival. Number one, there was preaching. Now, I know we hit on this some last week, and even when we first met up with, uh, with Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, but we need to take another look at this. Look at verse number 3 with me. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Verse 4, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, he's preaching now, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Listen, as we've said before, this message is very simple. Uh, this preaching of, of Jonah was very, very simple. It wasn't a three-hour long message. It wasn't a one-hour long message. Wasn't even didn't even last for 10 minutes or even one minute. If you read these, these eight words here, it'll take you less than five seconds. His message was only five seconds long. How many of you wish your pastor only preached for five seconds? Don't say amen. It was simple. A simple message. But it was powerful. The preaching was powerful, but why and where was that power found? It wasn't found in Jonah, though he was a prophet, sure. But the power wasn't found in him, wasn't found in his presentation. He didn't have three points in a poem. There was no lights here, no fog machine, no worship bands, no miracles, no deliverance services, none of that. What you simply had was this. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. God's going to judge this place. Nineveh shall be overthrown. It was simply preaching. But where again was that power? It wasn't found in who he was. It wasn't found in his presentation. No, listen, the power is here. It's in the word of God. That is where the power 
lies. Look again at verse number 1. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it. Here it is, the preaching that I bid thee. This was God's message. It was God's word. And His word, listen, be reminded once more this morning, His word is powerful. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation for everyone that believeth to the Jew first, also to the Greek. It's a very powerful thing to know the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinners. That's a very powerful message. And it needs to be proclaimed and preached by every lip of every believer to tell people of the gospel message. Why? There's power in that message. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick. That means alive, living, and powerful. That Greek word for powerful there is energeus, meaning that's where we get our word energy from. So it's the word of God that does the powerful, energizing work in someone's life. But it must be preached. It must be proclaimed. It must be told. Why? Because that's where the power lies. That's where it lies. It's not enough. Preacher's personality, though God uses those. It's not in a presentation, though it should be presentable. But it's in the Word of God. Because the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Listen to me this morning. The Word of God changes lives. Absolutely. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you heard the message, the word of the gospel, the word of God, and it changed your life. If you have gotten victory over different things in your life as you've grown in the Lord, it's because you heard the powerful word of God. Even, even this morning, as Brother Pike was, was reading scripture uh, there, I believe it's in, uh, ooh, I can't remember, John, maybe John chapter something. And anyway, Jesus said this, you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. The Word of God is powerful. It changes lives. It's not me. It's not any preacher's personality. It's the Word of God that changes lives. The truth changes lives. And what is the truth? It is the, the book, the, the, the Word of God here. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. What is it, Jesus? What is the truth? Thy Word is truth. Listen, it's the Word of God that changed these people. The message that he preached from God. That's what changed these people. And there will, listen, there will never be a life-changing evangelistic campaign or life-changing revival that will have lasting fruit without the preached Word of God. Because there's the power. We need God's Word. I'm going to tell you there's no substitute for it. Zero. I've heard it many times and some of you have told me, as you've come here and heard the Word of God preached and taught and read, it has helped you and changed your life and you've grown more by being here in the past several years than you have in most of your life. Listen, that encourages me. I thank you for that. But again, it's not me. It's not the Sunday school teachers, though they are fantastic and good, but it's the Word of God. That does the work. So what took place? What was an element that uh, caused or, or was part of at least uh, the, the revival here? Well, there was preaching. And then number two, there was this. There was believing. 
There is believing, or we can say it this way, there is receiving of the truth. Understand, these people believed God's word. They believed the message. Look at verse number 5. After Jonah preached, yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse number 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed. These folks didn't fuss about it. Uh, They didn't debate about the message. They didn't criticize what Jonah said. They didn't sit back and argue with them. No, here's what they did. They simply believed God. Now understand something. I am for apologetics. You say, apologetics, what are you apologizing for, preacher? No, no, no. That's not what that means, all right? Apologetics is simply means the defending your faith. And we, are, we should do that as believers. We are commanded so in Jude 3 to earnestly contend for the faith. And there's a time and place for, for that. But listen, when it boils down to it, when it comes to the Word of God, there's one of two, uh, one of two options to respond to it. Here they are. Simple. I'm going to make it simple. I'm a simple guy, and I want you to simply understand this, Okay. There's one or two responses to when it comes to the Word of God. You will either believe it or you won't. It really is that simple. It really is. That's it. You believe God or you will not. You will trust what God has said or you will not. You'll put your confidence in what God has said through His Word or you will not. That's it. And here with this revival at Nineveh, that's what they did. They, look at it with me, verse number 5. So the people of Nineveh believed who? Believed? Let's try it again. All right. Verse number 5. When I stop, you say the next word. All right. So the people of Nineveh believed? God. They believed God. This was just not a head nod, by the way. Uh, a head nod to the preaching of John. This was not some intellectual assent to the message, not just an uh, amen to an agreement of what John has said. No, no, no. Their belief went beyond that because you could see it. Yeah, it started in our heart, no doubt. started with the mind as far as that goes, yes. But it didn't stop there. They believed God and it was seen, listen, in this thirdly. I will actually put these two together for time's sake, but in their praying and repenting. It was seen in what they did. It was seen. Their faith was evident. It was seen. It was shown through their works that they did. And take note what they did. Look at verse number 5 again. People of Nineveh believed God. Here's what they did. Proclaimed a fast. Put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For a word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Listen, the king didn't do that. Not especially the king of Nineveh. No, 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 no. No way. But he did. In verse number 7, he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, cry mildly unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. And who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Verse number 10. And God saw their... What's that next word? God saw their... Understand their faith, their believing was evident by what they did. Now, please, please do not 
misinterpret what I'm saying or misunderstand what I'm trying to say. They were not saved or rescued or forgiven by what they did. They were not saved by works at all. This is not how it works, all right? Works do not work. They don't save you. Not one, not one work you could ever do to try to do good work for God. Will that get you into heaven? Uh-uh. That's not how it works. The Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, not the good things we could do, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We've been going through the book of Galatians on Wednesdays. and We've got this nailed down. At least I hope you do. That salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. That's salvation. It's in Christ and Him alone. So we know we're not saved by what we do, but listen, listen. After someone believes God, trusts God, there should be a difference in their life. Different fruit that begins to spring up from what it used to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Things change when you have an encounter with God. When you trust Him, things begin to change. Yes, some things immediately, immediately and yes, some things over time begin to change. And what you do, how you operate is part of those things. That change. In James chapter number 2 and verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Look, all I'm trying to say is this. In this revival here at Nineveh, these folks were changed. They changed their evil ways, changed their violence, their way of life. Everything about them was changed. And in the best I can tell in my study, it lasted nearly for 150 years. So this change was not a change for a day or two or a week or two or a month or two. Not even a year or two. Wasn't a turning over a new leaf. No, no, it's lasted. And lasting change comes when you believe God and trust Him as your Savior. Because it would be 150 years later that, that we know the 70 years captivity when Nebuchadnezzar himself, who was a Syrian part of this area and this, and this place, came and, and did a lot of damage and destroying uh, Jerusalem. We know that, but about 150 years later, that would happen. They'd ransack Jerusalem. But at this moment, they were changed. They were different. And when real revival takes place, people will be different. They will change. Why? Because God changes everything. There's real change. Now, who here has ever heard of the Welsh revival that took place in 1903 to 1904? Everybody raise your hand. Because you just heard about it on the video, all right? The Welsh revival that took place, it is said about that real lasting revival, that over 100,000 people were converted as a result of, of that revival. And things began to change in that area of the world drastically. It is said during the height of revival, while thousands were coming to Christ, Soccer matches, they call them football. That's not real football. We call it soccer anyway. Sorry, brother. Don't tell him I said that when you go over there, okay? The soccer matches begin to be canceled or scheduled around the actual meetings, revival meetings themselves. 
Pubs or bars were forced to close because no customers showed up. Uh, Welsh miners who, who bred ponies to haul carts of coal, they trained these ponies through beatings and commanded them by profanity-laced language. Yet the miners who've been going to the meeting, getting saved and being changed, being converted, their lives being transformed by the grace of God, as they returned back to work, the miners, these changed men, tried to command their ponies without swearing or beating them. But the ponies didn't know what to do because they weren't trained that way because their owners have been so transformed by the grace of Almighty God. What I'm trying to tell you is in real revival, people change. Christians, yes. Some things that need to be repented of, believers. Lost sinners, yes. As they come to Christ, their whole life has changed. Their eternity has been changed. Amen for that. But changed. So when true revival takes place, understand change will precede it. That will happen. What was another element we see? Not only do we see preaching, not only do we see believing, praying, repenting. I want to see this. There was a preparing What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, here's what I mean. I believe God was already at work in this nation preparing them, preparing the people to receive the message from Jonah, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. To hear the message that salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 2.8. Hear that message. He was preparing them. God was already at work. I'm a little hesitant to share this this morning because I don't want you to get the wrong idea from me, but understand the Ninevites, who were the Assyrians, by the way, they worshiped many false gods, but the main false god they worshiped, do you know who it was? It was Dagon. Now, Dagon, you can find him mentioned in the Word of God 13 times in seven verses. Judges chapter 16, verse 23, 1 Samuel 5, verses 2 through 7, and 1 Chronicles chapter 10 and verse number 10. You will find that name Dagon there. But do you know who Dagon was? It's going to blow your mind. He was the, according to the Assyrians, the fish god. According to the Assyrians, the Dagon, the fish god, was represented with the face and hands of a man and the tail of a fish. Who was it that spit up Jonah on the shore that day? A big old fish. I can imagine the shock and surprise of these people of Nineveh as they see this fish come up to the shore and vomit out this Israelite on the shore. Oh my goodness, right? Can you imagine? Their minds were blown. But God would use this event. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so remarkable to think that God would prepare a fish to swallow up Jonah to reach these people, preparing all of this in advance. Before Jonah was probably even born, knowing this was going to happen. There was preparing. I'm trying to tell you there was a preparing. And as you guys go to Scotland, God is preparing people. I believe it. He's preparing people's hearts ready to receive the word of God. A place where the light once shone bright for for the gospel and for the Lord has been dimmed to say the least. It's very dark actually. I believe God is stirring hearts, no doubt, to receive the glorious light of the gospel of Christ there in Scotland. But listen, he's doing it here. You have family, you have friends who don't know Jesus. They're living in darkness. 
but God is working in our heart, preparing them to receive the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. But what needs to happen, that gospel needs to come from your lips and from your life. See, he can do it. Listen, he can do it without us, but I promise you he won't do it without us. He uses us. He uses us. He used Jonah. Could he do it without Jonah? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But he wouldn't. God was preparing these people to receive the message. And as Jonah came in preaching, he didn't point people to Dagon. Nuh-uh. No, no, no. He pointed people to God. Why else would people in verse number 5 so the people of Nineveh believe God? That's Elohim there. Why else would they believe God if they didn't hear about God? Jehovah, Elohim, Yahweh. Why would they believe him if they didn't hear about him? He preached unto them the Lord. And the salvation is of the Lord. I believe God is at work. I believe he's working this morning. I believe he was already working before we even met together this morning. Working your heart and life. And I don't know exactly what it is that God is pinpointed in your heart and pinpointed in your life, but you do. And in a moment, I want to ask you to respond to that pricking, to that conviction in your heart and life. And you respond to God. Only you can do that. I can't do it for you. I can plead with you. I can preach to you. But I can't operate on your behalf for you. You must do it. You must do it. Listen, all this was taking place in a revival at Nineveh. A national revival. I'm going to call it that because that's what it was. A national revival. There was preaching. There was believing. There was trusting. There was praying. There was repenting. There was no doubt of preparing. It's amazing to read about and to see. And listen, I want you to know as your pastor, I long for that. I long for it. I do. Burden for our community and our counties here. This is terrible English, but a good point because our country, our cities, our counties are getting worser and worser. <laughs> it's getting terrible. And so I long for God to do great and mighty things we know not. Things that scare me to think that God could do. But I believe God's putting it in my, my heart to do. I don't know what that means exactly, but it's amazing to think that God could use us on the hill here in Fletcher to reach multitudes. And I just want to tell you to pray with me. I've been praying for so many, many years now about that property across the street. I don't want to buy it. I want God to give it to us. Amen. I'm serious. What do you do with it, preacher? I don't know. I don't know. Wouldn't it be something amazing to set up a gospel initiative? I don't know if it'd be a tent or what, but set up something over there and have a revival that would reach our community with the gospel, reach our counties for Christ. The thousands, I'm talking thousands of people that travel up and down I-26 every day as they see the cross of this church in its view as they go up and down the interstate. Reach those people for Jesus' sake. I believe you can do it. 
Again, I don't know what that looks like, but I want to reach them. I want to reach them. I want to see God do something great and mighty. We know not. Like I said, even about scare you. But I believe that's faith and trust in the Lord. A revival. Be so stirring and so far reaching. It blow our socks off. What God would do. But I want it to be Him. I want it to be for His glory, not for the glory of anybody, but for God. Because listen, this revival is taking place in Nineveh. Amazing things were happening. But I want to ask you a question in closing. What was it that sparked? that sparked this revival in Nineveh. You say, preacher, that's, that's obvious. It was the Lord. I mean, he was preparing. He was doing a great work in the country there. He's working in Jonah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't doubt it one bit. He is the energy. He is the power behind it all. But this morning, there's another little spark I want to highlight to you. Because it's challenging to me. And I know it will be challenging to you as well. If you're listening, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. Amen. But what was the spark, another spark really, to the survival at Nineveh? It was this, listen carefully. It was one man. One man who finally got right with God personally first. One man who finally obeyed the will of God in his life First, one man. So let me ask you as we close are you that one man? And you know you're not right with God. And God has been pricking in your heart and working in your heart, and you have fighting against it. You have, maybe it's for salvation, whatever it is. I'm not making a list here. You know what it is. But God has worked in your heart and you've been fighting against it and fighting against it. Are you that one man? That one woman? That one person who needs to get right with God and obey Him fully without reservation? Are you that one person? Because listen, before there was ever a revival at Nineveh, before there was ever a national revival in the country of Assyria. There was a personal revival that took place in the belly of a whale with Jonah and God. So are you that one person that could be the key or the spark to ignite the revival that we could only hope for and pray for? I believe God. I know He is more than able. And I want to trust Him to do great and mighty things we know not. And here's, here's why. For His name's sake. For His name's sake. But this morning, simple question is this. Are you that one person are you that one? I'm going to pray. And as I do,
I want to encourage you to do the same. Pray around this altar here this morning. Pray in your seat. I want to encourage you to pray. Pray that God would revive us. Pray that God would use us in ways beyond our imagination and that we would have the faith to trust in moving forward. I want to ask you to do that. And if you're that one man, one woman, one person, I want to ask you to wholeheartedly get right with God. Let God use you. 